From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Practical Torah means applying the Torah's ancient teachings to our daily lives. This is its ultimate practicality. The Torah has guided the Jewish people for thousands of years. In fact, it is hard to imagine a Jewish people surviving without it. Certainly, the Jews who have cast it aside have few, if any, Jewish descendants. This publication is a collection of comments, explanations, or stories for each of the weekly Torah readings. The common thread running through them is that the Torah is speaking not only of the historical perspective, indeed it is also a history book, but, even more importantly, it is also speaking about each of us today. This timelessness is its true value. It is my prayer that this book will encourage you to apply the practical teachings of the Torah and live the spiritual life that is your true inheritance. When you find it, you will find your path joyful and your life satisfying. Indeed, you will become rich with the most precious things that life has to offer. The Book of Exodus, Sefer Shmot. Exodus 1, Shmot. The Jew and the Torah. This week we begin the book of Exodus, the story of the exile and redemption of the Jewish people. As we look over the five books of Moshe, we see not only the history of the world and the Jewish people as a nation, but we also see the description of our own spiritual lives. The story begins with the creation of the world, the first man and his descendants. Later come the Jewish people, and the tribes of Yaakov were born. Next is their descent into Egypt and their ensuing slavery. After many years, their redemption finally comes. The amazing revelation at Sinai follows, and then we follow their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Finally comes their ascent into the land of Israel. This is not only the history of the Jewish nation, it is also the story of our individual spiritual journey today. The biblical story begins with creation, and so does ours. We went through our own individual equivalent of the six days of creation while being formed in the womb. The same ingredients that form the world form us. Just as Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden, so were we placed in the Garden. We grew up there, and as children we innocently played in that Garden. Maybe we tended sheep or did other simple tasks that children are able to do. Our lives are almost entirely wrapped around our families. This part of our national history is found in the book of Genesis, which also describes the beginning stages of our individual lives. Then, as the tribes matured, so did we. We became adults. And just like the adults in the biblical story, we too faced famine. We have to eat and provide for our needs. We have to go to work. This is our descent into Egypt. Mystically, Egypt is the land of limitations. In Hebrew, the words Egypt, Mitzrayim, and limitation, Matzah, share the same root, Mem, Sadi, Resh. Egypt restricts our freedom, but it also provides us with the means of gaining a livelihood. Simply put, 
This means work. Now, if this work is merely to provide for our physical needs, it may very well become our purpose in life. Work can even become our sole reason for living. After all, we must work to live. We have to eat and buy things to sustain our families. So we go to work to provide for these needs. But as the material aspect of life becomes more and more important to us, we can easily lose sight of any higher purpose in life, and sadly, the material perspective becomes our sole goal. This focus on materialism persists even after we are fortunate to have enough to sustain ourselves for the foreseeable future. And even after it begins to hurt us, we still go to work every day. The work has already enslaved our thinking. No matter how much we do, no matter how much we earn, the master always demands more. The slavery becomes bitter, life becomes drudgery, and although it is almost unbearable, this way of life is all we know. Work pushes us harder, and although we do not like it, we firmly believe that this is what we are supposed to be doing. Then we finally call out to God for help. Where did that idea come from? The idea was what we were supposed to be doing. Then we finally call out to God for help. Where did that idea freedom from slavery dawns? Could this be possible? We struggle then, with God's help, finally throw off the bonds of slavery and go out into freedom. We go out into the wilderness without physical security. We imagine an entirely spiritual life. We would be there without any visible means of support, but we're determined to search for God's ways. Somehow, we will be supported even there. After the first great revelation, we wander through the desert, learning His ways, the ups and downs of spiritual living, and then finally, with His help, we are brought up into the land of Israel itself. Once we are in Israel, which is our homeland, we engage both the spiritual and the physical aspects of life. But now the physical does not enslave us because we no longer think it is the purpose of life. The physical becomes a mere tool in our hands that we use in order to fulfill our higher spiritual goals. We have learned that the spiritual, not the physical, is the purpose of life. This is the story written in the Bible. But more importantly, it is also the story of each of us. It is a story of our conception, physical development in the womb, birth, becoming adults, going to work, finding drudgery, seeking a higher purpose, disdaining the physical, discovering the Torah, and finally ascending to the land of Israel to live out our days, enjoying both the physical and spiritual blessings that God bestows on us. And this is the true value of the Torah. It is talking to us about us. Did God tell a lie? With this week's portion of the Torah, we begin the long journey of darkness into dire slavery and finally our exodus into freedom. After Yosef's passing, a new pharaoh is in power and he fears the prolific and prosperous Jewish people. His solution is to enslave them and to make their slavery bitter. God sends Moshe to lead his people out of this cruel slavery. He tells him to tell Pharaoh that God met with him and he is to let the Jewish people go into the wilderness for three days to worship him. 
Now, God knew perfectly well what was going to happen. He knew that he was sending the Jewish people out into freedom, never again to return to Egypt. So how could he tell Moshe to lie to Pharaoh? God's name is truth. He is the truth. So how could he have sent Moshe to apparently tell an untruth? When God told Moshe to tell Pharaoh that the Jews were going to leave for three days, he was simply doing to Pharaoh exactly what Pharaoh had done to the Jews. It was only fair. And Mita, Kenega Mita, that God should treat him as he had treated the Jews. When Pharaoh ordered the enslavement of the Jewish people, he did not send his soldiers to immediately enslave them. He first had the Jews work for the so-called community good. There was the ruse that the Jews were going to work along with the Egyptians to help improve their host country. It was in the national interest that the storage cities be built, and it was only fitting that all of the residents of the state share in this communal endeavor. Then slowly the Egyptians began to walk away from the backbreaking work. But when a Jew would try to walk away, there were guards there to push him back. Then, little by little, the real slavery began. Little by little, it became darker and darker. Pharaoh demanded harsher and harsher treatment until even commanding the murder of all the Jewish and even non-Jewish male babies. Now, what does this have to do with us today? The Torah is to be studied from at least four main perspectives, which when combined become 13 different perspectives that can be used to better understand its meaning. The main perspectives are the literal, the allegorical, the interpretive, and the mystical, or secret, underlying perspective. Obviously, each of these will tell a different story, but none of these stories will contradict any of the other stories. From each perspective, we learn different truth. Simply stated, the literal perspective of the slavery and the exodus from Egypt is the narration of actually what happened to the various characters in the story. This is simply the literal historical perspective. What we read really happened to those people. One of the main allegorical stories we can learn from the Exodus is to understand that the Torah is also speaking of a man being enslaved by his physical work. Man can either work entirely for the physical benefit or he can work for its spiritual benefit. When he works merely for the physical, he has become a slave to his work. His slavery will get harsher and harsher, and no matter how much success he has, he will become more and more entrenched in his slavery. And oh, is this a bitter slavery. His physical master, be it lust for wealth, power, or fame, is clutching him like a vice. His own enslaving desire constantly demands, do more, get more. His slavery becomes darker and darker. It is only when he finally cries out to God and endeavors to seek spiritual life that his slavery begins to end. Certainly, if he will work as hard on his spiritual life as he did for his physical life, he will be able to completely leave the cruel king who was enslaving him. The interpretive perspective draws upon the main story and applies these teachings to other teachings. So, for instance, we are taught that the bricks the Jews were forced to make in Egypt and the mortar they had to mix with back-breaking labor actually point to the remedy for the slavery. Bricks, in Hebrew, is pronounced levanim, 
This is similar to the word to understand, lahavin. Freedom comes with true understanding. Mortar is pronounced homer. One of the most common Talmudic phrases used to analyze two comparative items is all the more so. This is pronounced kalvachomer. Studying the Torah elevates the bricks and mortars of slavery to become the building blocks and mortar of spiritual freedom. Here we see that the very things that were physically enslaving us must be used in a spiritual way in order to go out into freedom. The exact tools of our slavery become the tools of our freedom. When Moshe tells Pharaoh to let the Jewish people go, Pharaoh yells at him, Behold, the people of the land are now numerous, and you will have them cease from their burdens? Without changing any of the words, this same sentence could be read, Behold, the ignorant people are now numerous, and you are going to give them Shabbat rest from their burdens. The cruel voice of the enslaving master can be seen to be prophesying, Moshe, you are going to give the people Shabbat. Right in the deepest darkness, the dawn is coming. Here is the greatest teaching of the Exodus. We must learn how to turn the binding evil inclination into the uplifting good inclination. From the mystical perspective, this is the story of each of our individual souls' descent into a body, into their own personal limitations. The Hebrew word for Egypt means to shut or limit. This is what happens to the soul when it comes into the world. When the soul looks out at the physical world through physical eyes, it sees only physicality. It even comes so far down into its personal Egypt that it believes that it too is physical. It forgets its lofty nature and its holy purpose and pursues the physical pursuits of the world. This is the soul's descent into Egypt. It is only when the soul remembers and directs its physical limitations to serve the spirituality does it begin to experience the freedom it seeks, even while it is still locked in a physical body. There is one dot com.